Welcome to Leading Lights. You're about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church in Jersey. So we've been talking about a giant of faith. We're talking about Abraham, the giant of faith. The Bible talks about him as the example and the start of faith in the Bible. Last week we mentioned that he came from a family that was not a godly family and God broke in and gave him some amazing promises. God told him God was going to bless him, that he was going to have children, even though he was already old and he didn't have children. God said, you're going to have children, you're going to have a new land. Leave your father's house and your family and Ur of the Chaldeans and move to this other land, which I will show you. He didn't even tell him where it was. He just said, go and I'll show you where you're going. And Abraham took a little bit of time to get into obedience, but over the next 30 years, I believe it was, from when God originally spoke to him in Ur of the Chaldeans, he was around about 70. The Bible doesn't tell us exactly how old he was, but then in Genesis 12, it tells us when he was 75, God reiterated the promise when he was halfway to the promised land. He'd left Ur and he'd stopped halfway at a place called Haran, but he hadn't obeyed fully because he'd taken his dad and his nephew Lot and all, all, a whole lot of baggage with him, and he hadn't completed the trip, but at 75, God reiterated the promise and said, come on, let's go again, and so Abraham got up, his dad had died, but he still took Lot and the, the family with him in disobedience, and he moved into the promised land, and over the next 25 years, from the age of 75 to 100, we see an unfolding of Abraham's obedience. That's one way of putting it. Abraham became more and more obedient. Another way of putting it is Abraham got closer and closer to his Lord who he loved, who was uh, his friend in an amazing relationship. Another way of putting it is Abraham's character became more and more like God wanted it to be. But it took 25 years. Now my first question is, would God have answered Abraham's prayers earlier if Abraham had just got his act together earlier. So there's this dual thing going on in my sermon today, and I'm wanting you to watch for it and track with me through it. On the one side is God is doing it. It's a work of God. It's work of, of God's grace and power. And God has decided, I'm going to bless Abraham. I'm going to use him. I'm going to give him children. It's God. It's a work of grace, a gift. That's the one pillar. The other pillar is, but Abraham has to respond to that grace. Abraham has to cooperate. Abraham has to say, yes, please, and work with God. And, and when God says, I want to bless you, but it's in another land, Abraham has to say, okay, I'm going to that other land. And as human beings, especially Christians, we always, almost always, make the mistake of going too far to the one pillar or too far to the other. And so you have some people who say, it's all God, I've got to do nothing. And it doesn't matter if I obey or change or cooperate or sin, it doesn't matter. God's going to do it. That's the one pillar. And some people are too far on that side. Other people say, it's all me. I've got to do it. I've got to earn it. 
and I've got to be good enough. And if I'm not good enough, then there's no safety net. I've, I've, I've messed it all up and, and there's no forgiveness. It's all me, it's all my works. I earn my salvation and my blessing. And what the story of Abraham teaches us is this beautiful middle road where there are two truths that are fully true. It is fully God and I must cooperate. And we see in Abraham's life how he played this out and learnt the lessons. Number one, your relationship with God is a gift of grace. This pillar here, it starts with God. It all starts with God. If you responded to God, it was because he called you and made you want to respond to him. It's a gift. You can't earn it. It's so valuable. Let me put it this way. Salvation and a relationship with God is, so, is worth so much. It's so valuable and so beautiful and so amazing and supernatural and powerful and wonderful. It's worth so much that it doesn't matter how much good you do. It doesn't matter how much you try and earn it or pay for it or, or do your part. You could never, ever, ever earn it. It's like it's worth... Uh, What's the most expensive car? Anyone know what, I don't know, I don't know. Let's say there's a car that's worth a million pounds and you don't have a million pounds. It's like the gift is so big that you would be foolish to think you could earn it. You could save, you could work, you could try, you could beg and borrow and do whatever to try and earn this gift and you could never, ever, ever earn it. That's the first part. It's a gift of grace, and God gives it to you freely, freely. But the second part, my second point, is that you need to receive it and cooperate with it. So imagine somebody comes to you. They say, I've got a Bugatti Veyron car for you. It's worth a million pounds. Look how beautiful it is. It's metallic blue. It's sleek. It's so beautifully designed. And you say, wow, that's amazing. And they say, here you go, here are the keys. You have to take those keys, you have to get in the seat of the, behind the steering wheel of the car, you have to put the key in and start it, although probably it's so fancy you don't have to turn a key, I don't know, maybe it just reads your mind, knows you wanna start. But you have to drive that car. And if you don't, if the person is holding out the keys for you for 20 years and you've never taken the keys and sat in the car and driven it, it's as good as if you were never given the car. And many people have understood salvation, grace, is a gift from God, but they've never taken it and used it. The Bible says we have been given, his divine goodness has given us everything we need for life and godliness, 2 Peter 1 verse 3. He's given us this grace so that we can live godly lives. Titus 2 verse 11 says, the grace of God has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and to live righteous in this present world. God has given us his power so that we can drive the car. How does this play out in real life? So let me give you a few examples of where Abraham missed out. Number one, he was slow to obey. 
from Ur of the Chaldeans to Haran, and then eventually Haran, he goes to the promised land. But then there's a famine in the land, and even though God has promised him, I'm gonna look after you, he says, no, I've gotta get out of this promised land, I've gotta go to that place where it's rich, Egypt, and I've gotta go down there, and he goes and he gets into all sorts of trouble. Because, please hear me now, God has blessed you, God has given you salvation, God's forgiveness and the blood of Jesus covers over all your sins, but there are still consequences if you do sin. You say, what are you talking about, Greg? Greg, you're making this so complicated. Listen, it's not complicated. God gives you grace, and the minute you receive that gift of grace, he washes you in his blood. He says, your spirit is the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It's sealed, it's pure, it's like God. It's seated on a throne in heavenly places with God. Your spirit is perfect. God says, I look at you, and you're covered in the righteousness of Christ. You are forgiven, you are my child, but if you then walk out and you walk into a place where they show pornography, and you get involved in that, or you have an affair, God's covering and his blessing is still all over you. He says, I still love you, I still have good plans for you, but you are walking into the devil's playground, and there is danger and damage that can happen to you in that place. Even though I still love you, even though I still have a plan for you, even though you can get out of it and I can lead you on the good path, even though you are still blessed and loved and the grace of God is upon you, there is damage that can happen to you because you walked into a place I never intended you to walk. So Abraham walks into Egypt, what happens? What's the damage? Well, first of all, the Pharaoh of Egypt looks at Sarai, his wife, and she is so beautiful that he wants to take her into his harem and make her one of his wives. And Abraham, instead of standing up for his wife and standing in the authority of God and saying, God is with me, God is protecting me, whoever blesses me, he will bless. Whoever curses me, he will curse. He is my shield and my very great reward. Instead of standing in victory in God and being a brave man of God and being a good husband, he says, take her, she's my sister. Damage. Can you imagine what that does to that marriage? Secondly, eventually God pitches up and, and protects them and they leave Egypt, but they take a young slave girl called Hagar with them out of Egypt, who 15 years later, sorry, 10 years later, becomes a massive problem in their marriage relationship. 10 years later, they still have no children, and Sarai says to Abraham, sleep with Hagar, the servant who we got in Egypt, who we would never have got if we hadn't strayed into Egypt, sleep with her and have a child. The child's called Ishmael. The, the Ishmael and Isaac, the child of promise who comes later, are at odds. Sarai and Hagar are at odds. Abraham's stuck in the middle. There is strife. There are problems in that family. And I wanna say to you that the Middle East problems today, where Israel are fighting with the Arabs, are still continuing because of that mistake. Does that mean God's not blessing them? God is with Abraham. 
Abraham is called the hero, the father of faith in our Bibles. God's blessing was on him. But there are consequences to disobedience. Amen? There's this other little consequence. So there are, there are physical consequences. When I step out of God's plan, I invite natural consequences. It's not God punishing me. It's just a natural consequence. It just, it's the way of the world. If I, if I step into a place where there's danger, harm comes. Me as a Christian, God is with me. His blessing's on me. But if I step into a place of disobedience, I am making myself open to harm. Sickness, pain, emotional harm, relational harm, uh, psychological harm. And then secondly... I'm opening myself up to an unseen danger. The Bible calls it a foothold for the devil. And I don't want to scare you, but I want to say to you that when I live outside of God's plan, what I'm doing is I'm believing a lie from an evil spiritual force called the devil. And whenever I believe his lie, Ephesians 4 verses 22 to 20 to 30 around there somewhere, talk about all the sins that I can commit as a Christian. It says, don't speak wrong, don't be angry and sin, treat one another properly, all these different things. And it says in the middle of that passage, it says, do not give the devil a foothold. What is a foothold? It's basically saying, God still loves me, God's blessing is on me, he's got good plans for me, but when I stray here, I'm believing a lie of the devil and I'm opening a chink in the armor that protects me from the enemy and the devil gets what's called a foothold where a demonic spirit then can continue to lie to me and I'm vulnerable to his lies. And I want to say one other thing before I move on is that those footholds can pass on to our children. Abraham lied about his wife in Egypt. He said, no, take her, she's my sister. Many years later, a couple of decades later, after so many blessings, and I'm, I'm gonna hopefully get through all of them right now, but many years later, when Abraham was much closer to the Lord, he did the same again with another king called Abimelech. He said, she's my sister, take her. And several decades later, Isaac, his son of the promise, took his wife, Rebekah, into a, another Abimelech's land. And Isaac wasn't even born when Abraham lied about his wife being his sister. Those first two times, Isaac was not born. And yet, Isaac goes in. He sees a king called Abimelech. Abimelech looks at Rebekah, Isaac's wife. This is Abraham's son's wife. And Isaac says, she's not my wife, she's my sister. Why would he say that? Why would he do the same mistake that his dad made? I'll tell you why, because Abraham had opened a chink, made a foothold for the lies of the enemy to come in, and his son got the same foothold. Because when our children are little in our household, they're under our authority, and the same lies that we believe, those demons look at our children and they say, can I lie to them too? And if we've opened ourselves to the enemy here, we sometimes unknowingly give them authority to lie to our children. And so Isaac 
inherited a sin nature like his dad and did exactly the same sin that his dad had done because of living outside of God's plan. So, let me try and find some good news for us. The good news is that Abraham developed. Abraham overcame. At the start of Abraham's walk, he was slow to hear God, and his relationship with God was stilted and a little bit weird and formal. He worshiped God, but he built stone altars. He had conversations with God, but they were unusual conversations. But as time goes on, Abraham learns to live right, to trust God, to obey quickly. And so many years later, when Isaac is now 13 years old, God says, take Isaac, your only begotten son Isaac, the child of the promise, and go and sacrifice him up on that mountain. And it says the very next morning, Abraham got up and went and took his son. He learned over 30 years to obey immediately, to trust God. Hebrews 11 says he trusted God enough that he'd figured if God gave me this miraculous son, even if I sacrifice him, God will rise him up to life again. He had grown in his faith over 30 years. But his relationship with God grew as well to the point where God says, I'm gonna destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham says an intercessory prayer. He says, but what if there are 50 righteous people? What if there are 40 righteous people? And he, he intercedes with God for that city and he has this amazing friendship with God. His intimacy with God was extraordinary. He would have meals with God. He would talk to God. God would share things with him. God says, I must share this with Abraham because he's my servant. Because he's so important to me, this relationship grew, this intimacy grew. So the negative is if we stray out of God's plan, we open ourselves to harm. The positive is if we get closer and closer to God and more and more trusting of him and obey him quickly, we get this amazing intimacy with God where he discusses things with us and where we have conversations and where he opens his heart and says, this is my plan, and we get to pray about God's plans with him. Jesus said to his disciples, I don't call you servants, I call you friends, because I've shared my master's business with you. We get more intimacy. Plus, we get this amazing victory over the enemy. So I'm gonna close with this. Remember I mentioned Abraham's nephew, Lot, so Lot came with Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldeans and out of Haran, even though God had said, no, leave Lot behind. You might say to me, why did God say leave Lot behind? Why did God say to Abraham, leave Lot behind? Because God had a better plan for Lot. Lot was in disobedience as well as Abraham. God had a better plan for Lot and his family, and God had a better plan for Abraham, and God can see the big picture where we can't. And Abraham got all weird and sentimental, and he said, oh, Dad and Lot and your families, come with me. And a few chapters later, after they moved into the promised land, and God had said to Abraham, leave Lot behind, it says that there, be, there rose, arose strife between Lot 
and Abraham, between Lot's men and Abraham's men. The land couldn't support both of them, and there was strife. And so eventually, Abraham said, Lot, you go and you pick the best place you can find. And Lot went off and he settled in Sodom and Gomorrah. And I I hope I don't need to tell you that that did not end well. That was a terrible, terrible path for Lot and his family. They would have been better if they'd stayed where God wanted them to stay because God could have organized his plan for them. But they took a wrong path. They ended up going to Sodom and Gomorrah. While they were there, Five kings attacked Sodom and Gomorrah and completely overran it and took Lot and his family captive. Abraham, one guy, he's not five kings, he's one man, attacks the five kings and gets all the plunder back and brings it back, including Lot. And this amazing priest appears, a priest of God Almighty called Melchizedek, and blesses Abraham, and Abraham gives a tithe, a tenth of all that he's won to Melchizedek, and then he gives all the goods back to the king of Sodom and Gomorrah. There was amazing victory that Abraham learned to overcome the devil. The more that he trusted God, and the more that he obeyed God, he was able not to open a foothold to the devil, but to crush the devil's head, to win victories for God. Unfortunately, Lot stayed in Sodom and Gomorrah even after this, and eventually when God wiped it out, uh, Lot's family escaped, not all of them, and Lot's wife was turned to a pillar of salt, and then Lot's daughters slept with him, and there was just mayhem. It was just destruction. And so we say, why was God so horrible to Abraham to say, leave Lot behind? God knew what he was saving Lot from, but Lot didn't listen. God knew the path and the destination at the end of that path, and he said, leave Lot. Abraham, it'll be better for you. It'll be better for Lot. It'll be better for Terah. God knows what's best for us. We think we know what's best for us. Abraham learned over time to trust God. And as I said earlier, the New Testament calls Abraham a hero of faith. A hero of faith. It says in Romans, 14, Romans 4, something that sounds wrong. Listen to Romans 4. For the promise that he would be heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if those of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise made of no effect, because the law brings wrath, for where there is no law, there is no transgression. It's saying it's all about grace and faith. It's not about earning anything. We never think we've earned anything. It's about grace. Right, then it goes on to say, Therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him whom he believed. 
It's saying that same grace is available to all of us if we will believe like Abraham. And then listen to this, talking about Abraham. It says, he believed God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did exist. Who Abraham, in contrary to hope, in hope believed so that he became the father of many nations. According to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith. This is the bit I wanted you to really see. He says Abraham was not weak in faith. I think he was weak in faith. Not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about 100 years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief. Mm, I'm not so sure about that. But was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what he had promised he was able to perform and therefore it was accounted to him for righteousness. Why am I reading you that? Because I wanna show you that even when Abraham was walking in this other path, God saw him as righteous. <laughs> even when you and I sin, God says, I'm still seeing you as covered by the blood of Jesus. I'm still seeing you as completely pure and righteous and holy and with a good purpose. You are opening yourself up to damage, yes, but I'm still with you. I'm still giving you a path back. And now my very last point is if we persist walking away from God for long enough, the Bible talks about our hearts becoming hardened where we are no longer sensitive to hear God's promptings and his love and his voice. And it is possible for a person to walk in this place for long enough that eventually they reject God totally. But Abraham didn't. He kept coming back and at the end of his life, God said he didn't waver through unbelief. He didn't waver in his faith. He was righteous. He trusted God. And God said he is pure, he is an example. Friends, the Bible is so helpful. It gives us an honest account of a man's life so that you and I can copy him. And the lesson for you and I today is to please, let's wake up and say, which areas have I been walking out of God's plan? Maybe trusting that it doesn't matter. Maybe thinking, oh, I can do all these wrong things and God is just still gonna make it right. God says, I still love you, but there are consequences, damaging consequences. I don't want your family broken up. I don't want you sick. I don't want you miserable. I have a good plan for you, my child. Repent. Turn back to God. Right at the end of Abraham's period of waiting, when he was 99 years old, God said, right, now I'm ready to give you the promised son, Isaac, but you have to be circumcised which means cutting off the flesh, which was an example of all those years of wandering wrongly. Cut it off, cut it off, Abraham. And now the new child, the blessed child, the child of promise will be given to you. Thanks for listening. Please visit leadinglightsnetwork.com for more resources and subscribe to our podcasts on iTunes. And please consider supporting this ministry financially by making a donation on the giving page of leadinglightsnetwork.com or lighthousejersey.com.